0: Let's turn to Genesis 29 again, and uh, we'll pick up uh, where we left off last week. Last week, we were uh, uh, looking at the first part of the chapter uh, about uh, Jacob's arrival there at the well uh, near Haran, and we went down through... uh, uh I think we went down through about verse twelve or so, so today i 'd like to pick it up with verse thirteen and we 're not going to cover a, a large amount of territory we 'll just do verse thirteen through twenty hopefully uh, and that's uh uh it's kind of a transition uh or entered it 's just got a lot of introductory information in it that we need as we go forward in the story so that 's what we'll be looking at today but uh by way of by way of recall let 's go back and and think what did we talk about last week in those first 12 verses of chapter 29 you
1: talked about the definite contrast between the memory of what it was like when the bride was cured for Isaac and what it was like when the bride was cured for Jacob and they're both at the well but they're so different. yeah yeah one God is really honored
0: and glorified in and the other one you don't see. He's kind of back in the background, isn't he? Yeah. <clears throat> we have the servant in chapter 24 who comes with this attitude of prayer and asking for God's direction and it's very clear how God is moving and he recognizes God moving and he worships God as he sees how God directs. And it's so much in contrast to, to uh, Jacob and Jacob's whole approach to a very very similar situation.
2: What else? I'm not sure just like Jacob's intention where we get the other shepherds out of there or if he just trying to run the show and tell them you know, how things should be because from where he came from, they are doing it all wrong. Yeah. Yeah, he, he
0: didn't like the way they were doing business. <laughs> and uh, so he's... Uh, He's telling them how to do their job, and uh, I'm sure they real, took real kindly to that. I'm sure they really appreciated this total foreigner coming in here and telling them how to do their, <laughs> how to do their job. Uh, <coughs> but uh, what does that what does that reveal to us about Jacob? What do we learn about him through that?
2: Yes, he was
0: okay, he's a good businessman. He's obviously a hard worker. He you know, he just—he doesn't see any reason to be laying around in the middle of the day, you know. Whatever your excuse is, let's get to work. And he goes over there and he grabs that stone and he moves that stone out of the way and and uh, and gets the process moving. And, and uh, so that's uh, that's something to be said in his favor. <laughs> Which
2: is not like you really get a picture of early on after, or the previous chapters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, that is true. It, it, it is interesting that because it characterizes him early as one who kind of likes to hang around the hang around home or whatever. And and Esau is kind of the outdoorsman type of guy. But we but but we do get this more balanced picture of Jacob as a result of this story. What else?
2: It's really kind
0: of the first point
1: that he seems like a man. Yeah,
0: really. <laughs> started to act like a grown up for a change. Yeah, really. Then maybe, maybe there are some changes starting to take place here. So. Anything else? From
2: a perspective, you could either say he's a take charge kind of guy or you could say he's controlling
0: That's a very fine line, isn't it? That's right. Oh, that's right. So yeah, yeah. that nice guy, yeah, that's right. And that's a possibility here. That, you know, with Rachel coming over the hill there and, you know, he's he's wanting to kind of impress her a little bit. And I, and I think there is a little bit of that. He's flexing his muscles, as one commentator put it there, just to kind of show off a little bit for the lady. Anything else that stands out to you in that passage?
2: Whatever he was doing was serious is very
0: emotional yeah yeah we see we see that side of Jacob here we see his passion we see his the intensity of his feelings and 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 uh and one of the things we talked about last week is is this guy's been under a lot of stress (laughs) he's uh a lot most of it self-induced stress but he's been under a lot of stress and now he he comes to this well and and uh finally things are starting to work it looks like things are starting to fall in place for his life and we'll see more of that today and uh and so there's just this outburst of emotion this relief that he's finally inherent and he's found his relatives and and here's this good looking woman here that may be a possibility for him and and uh, so just this, this overwhelming sense of relief and satisfaction that takes over him and he's and he's, uh, and, he, and he weeps about it.
2: I like the way you contrasted Eliezer when he encountered Rebecca. We don't see that with Jacob. He's drawing us to our
1: life today about how, let me use the word, in terms of great satisfaction
2: when we see God working our lives and recognize that and understand that. Yeah. It was great satisfaction to be able to work it. Thank you. Yeah.
0: It really makes a difference, doesn't it? When, when we really experience something really wonderful in our lives, it makes such a difference to be able to worship the Lord. To realize it's from the Lord and just to be able to stop. It's so much more satisfying than just to go, well, you know, it was fate or it was coincidence or it was whatever. But to actually see God's hand. Well, one of the things that's interesting... Let's, read, uh, let's pick it up in verse 13 and read down, and then, then, uh, then I'll say what I was going to say here a minute ago. <clears throat> but picking it up in verse 13, it says, "...so when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, "'Surely you are my bone and my flesh.'" And he stayed with him a month. Then uh, then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Now, one of the things that that we see here and we saw it in the passage that we were looking at last week is just this repeated allusion to or repeated references to this relationship between uh, between Rebekah and Laban and between Jacob and Laban, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So in verse 13, uh, it, uh, notice it says, So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, once again the relationship uh, is stressed. Uh, and then it comes out again in verse 13, uh, uh, Fourteen, he says, "Surely you are bone of uh, uh, you are of my bone and my flesh." And then again, it comes out uh, in uh, in verse sixteen, where uh, excuse me, verse fifteen, where he says, "Because you are my relative." So, uh, so we're just encountering this same thing here again in this part of the passage that we encountered last week. Is just over and over again. There are references made to this issue of the relationship between Jacob and Laban and the family there in in Haran. And, And, you know, we might ask ourselves, why do they keep stressing that? Why does the narrator keep emphasizing over and over? I mean, we know it's important. We understand that the reason he went to Haran in the first place was to find his relatives and that it was important that he marry within the line. But over and over and over again now, once he gets there, the narrator stresses to us in a number of different ways that these people are related. Why do you think he does that?
1: Well, their contract is it like it's two people that should be trustworthy, that should be dependable. I mean, if I to my uncle and made a deal, I would expect him to keep his end of the bargain. And I would trust him to be fair. Okay.
0: You would think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> you? You kind of think family ought to treat one another right. So, so that is perhaps one of the things that he's emphasizing is the is the you know the the, the difficulty of this particular situation that it's that even though they're relatives, there's this conflict and, and it becomes very clear uh, as we go forward. This conflict is an ongoing and increasingly difficult uh, conflict over a period of a number of years. Anything else that you? Th- think of
2: well this is the first time they met apparently and it's likely that they didn't know neither one family knew anything about the other family yeah except this guy named Laban yeah and Laban knew his sister left yeah they didn't know if they had sons daughters and that yeah so that was probably an important connection for them.
0: yeah oh yeah for sure and this is the first time that's that anyone of the family in Haran has actual contact with a relative. Okay, uh, they, Back in chapter 24, the contact was with a servant of Abraham. So this is the first time that they've actually seen someone who is a relative. I think perhaps the main thing that's going on here, the reason this issue of relationship is stressed over and over again, much more so than it was stressed in chapter 24 with the story of, of uh, Eliezer, the servant, uh, I think the reason, it, one of the reasons, it's stressed more emphatically here, is because as the story unfolds, as we read this story uh, about Jacob and Laban and everything that's going to unfold here, God's pretty much in the background, isn't he? There's not a lot of talk about God. We talk about the the contrast between how the servant approached things and how Jacob approached things, and, and in the servant's mind, God is very much in the forefront. And he recognizes that God is in the forefront. And he worships God for the things that God is doing. But in this story, there's just not much mention of the Lord, is there? He's kind of in the background as far as Laban's concerned, as far as Jacob's concerned, even though Jacob has just a few days before had this dramatic encounter with the living God there at Bethel. In spite of that, it just seems like To Jacob, you know, well, this is just life. This is just things that happen. And there's no clear cut uh, understanding that God is directing and, and God is sovereign in this. And so I think one of the things that the narrator is trying to do is to keep it in front of our minds. Because it's not in front of Jacob's mind, it's not—it's not something that Jacob is is really cognizant of and thinking of, and the, and the narrator doesn't want us to fall into the same uh, into the same trap. So he's he's putting this kind of subtle reminder in here for us, uh, this re- repetitious uh, uh, reminder to us that. God really is in charge and God's bringing this about and God really does want Jacob to marry within the family and so he's, he is orchestrating the events to accomplish that. And so he wants us to understand that even though there are times in our lives where we may forget that God is providentially directing and God is moving in our circumstances of our lives, uh, even though there are times when we forget that, That does not mean he is not working and he is not leading and he is not directing. And so we just have these these continual reminders here put before us. God's in charge. God's in control. God's accomplishing his purposes, even though at this point in your life, you're not really thinking that much about it. Okay, so so I think that that's one of the things that's that's going on there. Now, now something else that that struck me as I as we go forward in the story and And of course, you know, uh, you know, kind of what happens here in the future beyond what we've read today. And so we'll allude some to that and talk some about that even today as we're going forward, because the passage that we're looking at today is is really kind of just setting the scene for us. So we understand the things that are that are going to unfold uh, as we as we go on through the chapter and into the following chapters. So uh, so we'll be kind of alluding to those things or referring to those things as we as we think about things today but one of the things that strikes me here is that Jacob has come out of Beersheba and he's come from these all these you know this ugly situation of the circumstances of what happened there in Beersheba in Beersheba with his family and with Esau and with Rebekah and with his father and all that sort of thing and then he gets to Bethel and he has this encounter in Bethel and God promises him he's going to be with him and, and, and all these sorts of things. And and now he goes on to Haran and he rides in Haran and he encounters his relatives. He's, he's, he's had success on his journey. Uh, he's now found this woman who we see in the passage today that he loves. Uh, and he enters into a, an agreement to secure her for his wife. And, and uh, things are starting to work out pretty good for Jacob. And, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking at this point in Jacob's life. Now, of course, it's going to take a pretty nasty turn real quick. But at this point in Jacob's life, it would be very easy to make the mistake of thinking that because he now has God's blessing on his life and because he now has God's presence with him, that that somehow justifies or vindicates the way he acted earlier. And and the thing, one of the things we have to remember, and I think one of the things that the life of Jacob overall teaches us is that the end does not justify the means. Okay. But it's very easy for us to make the mistake when we look at somebody whom the Lord has apparently prospered, even if we look at somebody who's having some even spiritual successes in their life. It's easy to look at that and think that that is somehow an affirmation of all the things they've done previously in their life. So, for example, one of the ways we do this typically in, in Christendom today is we look at a church. And if a church is big and prospering, and they've got a lot of money and they've got a lot of people in their church, uh, you know, and they're, uh, they're, they look like a very successful church, then we just assume, well, God must approve of all the ways they're doing things. But that isn't always the case, is it? It is possible for for us to have the the not only the appearance of success, not only the appearance of spiritual blessing, but to actually have real success and actually have real spiritual blessing, as we see in the life of Jacob. And that doesn't that does not constitute an affirmation of all the things that Jacob did. To get there, right? So, so we, have, we have to remember then that that when we look at our own lives or when we look at somebody else's life and we see good things happening in their life, we need to be careful that we don't make the wrong conclusions from it. So the question is, obviously the question is, If I can't look at God's blessing on my life and if I can't look at God's favor on my life and interpret that as an affirmation of how I of the means I went to to get here. Then how do I know how do I determine what are the right means and the wrong means? If I can't look at God's. At at what seems like the obvious seal of God's favor by you know, the blessings that he bestows on on my life or on somebody else's life as as an indication of the rightness of what they did to get to where they are, how do I determine what is the right way to get to where I am?
2: That's a great question. That is probably the litmus test in this day and age with the health and wealth and doctrine. Mm-hmm. If you do well, you'll be rich, you'll yep. have God's blessing, you'll be healthy, etc., etc that I was thinking the verse in Hebrews and you probably weren't going this direction but that's okay. Um, <laughs> it says I can't remember the very first part of the verse where it says and I say Hebrews I may not even be in Hebrews right now. It says look at those who went before you and considering the outcome of their way of life imitate their faith. Yeah. Hebrews 13. Okay. I thought it was clear. So <clears throat> so that is referencing Looking at the outcome of their life, not the stuff of their life, or the you know what we tend to think of, them, especially in the United States, the material possessions and and the job position and all that kind of stuff. We're looking okay. at good. the results in effect of their life.
0: And what are we told to imitate?
2: Very good question. I mean, in that's, that's, in that first yeah. faith, is their faith? Yeah. Not imitate their, their decisions yeah, or business. Imitate yeah. Yeah. their faith. Yeah. I mean,
0: for most, you know, why did they do it? Was it to help themselves, or was it, you know? Well, but the problem with, with motives is it's pretty hard to it's pretty hard to analyze those. We'll, we'll see that here in just a minute with Laban. It's pretty hard sometimes to to judge motives, isn't it? When it's somebody, it's hard for me to judge my own motives, let alone somebody else's. But when we can, I think, yeah, that's a good measure. But yeah, it's good too, but.
2: I've as I've observed here in our, this passage, I, Rick has come to several conclusions about motives about Jacob and very I, I don't agree with Rick. I don't think that was the guy who wrote it. <laughs> there, there's not a verse that says, here was Jacob's motive for yeah. doing this thing. Yeah. Or if, yeah. Here was, you
0: know. Yeah. So it's good hard, point. It's
2: really hard to get
0: motive. Somebody over here was going to say something. I thought. <laughs> Move on.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> But, you know, I think a lot as I get older about God's grace in these things, and there are times when I <clears throat> think about my own life when God should have hammered me, you know, that I was uh, didn't follow Him, and I was just waiting, okay, I wonder what's going to happen bad now, because I didn't know this has got to go wrong, Yeah. You know, He's yeah. bless me, yeah. and He blessed me, and then you get into dilemma. <clears throat> oh, I must, you can go prideful, I must be a really good guy, or maybe, yeah. you know, or you can humble yourself and say, "God is merciful to me," and and it's kind of like God has. Sometimes I think God has kind of pitched his wagon to me in a sense, and He's identified with me and me with Him. So if I, He's got to kind of I hold me, despite what kind of failure I am. And it's kind of Jacob here, like it. he's a guy of promise, he's not worthy of it. Yeah, but God still. God's in it that's great guy's it with all
0: of us yeah. it. so it really is a it really is a humbling issue isn 't it when you when you realize you know just how much of all of this favor and blessing has nothing to do with how how we performed under certain circumstances mm-hmm. jacob 's a classic example Can you
2: think about kids you know, you want to wring their neck and say, you know, I, I really just go to have it, but they're my kids and you you have, you want to take care of them. You love them. You want them to succeed and to do well. So you keep on giving to them even though they you like know, to take it back and they don't deserve it. And anyway, then you, you see that and it's kind of like God is with us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Rick. Um, yeah. This is, this is the most hard to say that if, we and, and that we the if we can look back and see if we did according to, Yeah,
0: well. yeah. Well, we can, but I do think ultimately, I think we've hit on the on the two critical or two or three critical things. One is the question is is the means that we employed to get where we are is it. Is it in concert with God's word? That's obviously that's obviously a primary issue. You know, we can we can say God bless what I did or whatever, but if it wasn't according to God's word, it just it just isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think too as
1: Christians, we need to be very careful of the press and and, uh, and I know you very but that if we live what we think is a Christian God is on. And we do everything right, and something really goes wrong in our lives, and something who's evil prospers. It's really hard, you know. I remember telling the Lord, what, what? It's hard to go first you know, I'm sure some. If but uh, we had a situation with our son Jonathan. He was born handicapped. The abortionist was the abortionist doctor here in Norman. His wife was pregnant at the same time. And she and I had an exchange and we both at one of the same time frame in our pregnancy. And her son was born healthy. And he lived. And her son died. And we struggle. Our I son mean, I struggled with that greatly. But so I learned that, you know, God told me I felt like that if he'd given them in a son, they would kick it. I said you're mm. <laughs> yeah. But it's so hard as yes. a Christian yeah. to look at others who are wealthy or are prospering or who have everything perfect in their life. But you know what? You're going to be misery in a house. Yeah. You don't
0: know. And even if there's not, even if there's not, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't justify the way they do things. You know, and, and, and this is not a, this isn't a new crisis that we just face in the 20th century. You know, the psalmist cried out. He says, why do the wicked prosper? You know, it's just it's incomprehensible. You know, Uh, at another point, he he talks about how he was how he was just so troubled when he looked at the wicked and he saw how they how well they seemed to do. And 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 we and, and we just instinctively something about us just instinctively takes that as some kind of affirmation on their life. And it's not an affirmation. It's simply God's mercy. It's simply God's grace. It is on their life. And and uh, uh, as Mike was pointing out, it is on our lives. It's just a. it's God's mercy and it's his grace. Uh, and, uh, and, and certainly there are blessings that come when we walk according to God's word. And when we walk by faith and when we walk in humility, there are blessings that come. But those aren't always the kind of blessings that that we like to think we should get. You know, they're not always the material blessings or the health or the or those kinds of things. We don't
2: um, always know what's good and bad. Uh, oh, absolutely, we yeah. yeah. We, just, we don't yeah. know. Yeah. something also happens and changes our life and we think it's terrible, yeah. but it's a reroute yeah. because we're supposed to go somewhere else. Yeah.
0: And that's exactly what uh, that's one of the lessons that, that I hope we learn as we're going through this story of Jacob. And that's why I wanted to pause and think about this at this point, because now he's come to this point in his life where for at least a period of time, it looks like now things are starting to fall into place. And it started pretty rough, but now things are starting to happen. Okay, he's got himself a good job. He's got a good prospect for a wife, you know. He's got a boss who isn't the best boss in the world but at least you know he's, he's 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 things are starting to fall into place okay and uh and and that is that that is just a product of God moving and God working in his life but he can't he can't assume that uh as uh, as as we're just thinking about here he can't assume that's necessarily all good or that the bad things that are about to happen in his life are all bad and that's one of the things that we that we understand then as we look at the life of Jacob is that is that he is set now to go through a, a period of many years of really difficult situations okay so that even though it looks very good right here in this first month that he's in Haran, things are looking up pretty good. It's going to turn sour on him pretty quick. And it's going to be very difficult for him for a long period of time. And the reason for that is because God is in the process of changing Jacob into Israel. And this is not going to be an easy process.
2: Okay. I was reminded that, I think it was Phil Strokes, one of the purest preachers who... Ran across this, he said, Do not pray for easier lives, but pray to be stronger men. And that always bothered me. <laughs> I've worked at my own prayers in my Ninety five percent of it was you know, God help with this, help with yeah. this, help with this. Yeah. Easier life. And, but it it makes you go back and think that's not God's purpose. And he wants us to have joy and happiness, but his purpose is not to do that, it's to make us more like Christ.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, his purpose is to is to enrich our fellowship with him, to make us like himself, to enrich our fellowship with him, and that comes through through a variety of experiences. Some of them positive, and but many of them experiences that we would otherwise consider to be negative. Yeah. Well, so the news reaches Laban that that. Uh, this guy Jacob is out at the well, and and so he comes running out. Once again, we see we see the comparisons with with Eliezer, and in chapter 24, the whole situation. Laban comes running out and greets him and brings him to his house, and in that respect, it's similar. Okay, but there are some marked differences. Of course, he embraces him, he kisses him. He doesn't do that with Eliezer, and of course, the reason he does with Jacob. Uh, is because he's a relative. And this is, in fact, as was pointed out earlier, this is the first first real encounter between the, these two families other than uh, kind of this proxy uh, relationship or encounter through Eliezer, or the servant of Abraham. This is the first time that these relatives have actually seen one another. Okay, So it's really a pretty exciting time. Now, it is kind of interesting, speaking of talking about what uh, Jim brought up a little bit ago about assessing motives here. It really is interesting to me how many of the commentators, uh, right from the outset here in Laban's interaction with Jacob, see all kinds of sinister motives. Okay, so uh, but uh, in in fairness to in fairness to Laban at this point, I, I don't see I can't I can't see myself acting any different than Laban did. I mean, you know, I wouldn't go kissing my relatives, you know, but but back in that culture, I would have so. So I don't think that even though some commentators think that, well, Laban, you know, heard the story about how he moved the stone and immediately thought, hey, I've got a hard worker here and I'm going to go. You know, I don't think there's any of that going on. I think Laban's just excited. He's heard he's got a relative here that he's never seen before. And it's his sister's son. It's his nephew. And he's never seen him before. And he's all excited about this. And so he runs out and he greets him and he kisses him uh, and and embraces him. And then he brings him to his home. And then it says... Uh, very interesting, it says that Jacob related to him all these things. What do you think Jacob told him? Yes, it doesn 't tell us what these things are. It kind of leaves us <clears throat> kind of wondering about that what do you, what do you think Jacob told him okay okay, so you think he told him i 'm here to find a wife no
2: <laughs>
0: I wonder about that. I, I I think he probably did at some point have to say that. He's got to explain some reason why he's here. You know, if one of your relatives you hadn't ever seen showed up on your doorstep, you know, once you got him in the house and gave him a cup of coffee and had him on the couch, the first thing you'd say is,
2: well, I seen my dad <laughs> and I had to run for my life. And me my mom is very really treacherous and looks, you know, Yeah, I don't know. think
0: he said Yeah, I think, she, I think Jake is more shrewd than that. He's not going to tell all that he's stuff.
1: He's his sister. He's going to tell them, okay, yes, my father is rich. Yes, he did have a house. Yeah. He's going to tell him about his sister and what else going on. He has a brother and...
0: All the good stuff and none of the bad stuff, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think... A, yeah, selective, you know. All of us talk about our families in selective ways, don't we? And uh, so I, I assume that's what he, what he did. Laban, he's
2: got to be getting up there,
0: too. Yeah, he is. Yeah, this is... Yeah. How
2: much age difference is
0: there between... Between Jacob and Laban? Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't calculate it, but... Uh, um, Laban and his uh, between Laban and his sister, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know the difference there. Uh, we don't know
2: but how Rebecca was
0: when she married Jake. No. Uh, no, I forget. I forget on that. You guys are... You guys are testing my math memory here, and, and I don't remember all these numbers we've already talked about. But, but, but it has been clearly a number of years because we know that Isaac was 40 years old before he had Jacob. Okay, and then and, and Jacob is is uh, quite you know he's he's uh, he's no teenager here. He's he's gotten up there. He's quite mature. But, uh, yeah, and they yeah and I yeah they're thinking Isaac's about to die. And actually, Isaac is. Um, Isaac is about 100 years old at this point. So, as I recall, I'm, I'm trying to call these numbers out of the dark recesses of my memory. But Isaac at this point is about 100 years old or so. So, it's been 60 years since Laban saw Eliezer. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's already contemplating his mind how this is going to work.
0: But. Well, and, and some, some think that I'm not sure exactly how much he is thinking that at this point. Uh, uh, he'd have to be—he'd have to have a pretty sophisticated and sinister mind to have all to have this whole thing scoped out in, in detail. I think he probably put it together as things went along, but. Uh, We'll get into some of that as as we go forward. So anyway, he goes and he gets uh, he he gets Jacob. He brings him to the house, and Jacob tells the story, <coughs> at least enough so that Laban uh, is you know is convinced this guy really is my relative. He does know my sister. He is my sister's son, and uh, and so apparently he extends an invitation to him to stay there, and Jacob spends about a month. And they're in Laban's, uh in Laban's uh with Laban's family. What do you think Jacob does during that month?
2: Works for
0: him. Yeah, he works for him. Yeah. And and that seems, you know, fairly clear from several things. One is we've already seen that Jacob is the kind of guy who doesn't approve of just sitting around doing nothing. Okay, we already saw that with his interaction with the shepherds at the well. And 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 also it becomes clear That Laban is facing by the time we get to about verse 15, Laban is facing a predicament because he's trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do with this relative of mine who's doing all this work? And so he's got to resolve these issues. Uh, So so he's he's obviously working and he's working diligently. And we know he's a hard worker and we know he's a skilled worker. He knows his business. We'll discover that. We don't we haven't seen that so much now, but as we go forward in the story, we'll see that this guy really knows this whole business about raising sheep and he knows the ins and outs of it and et cetera, et cetera. And so all this becomes obvious to Laban over the period of this month. And but Laban's got a predicament. What is Laban's predicament? He does have sons. Yeah, we, it doesn't say anything about him here. But later in the story, there'll be a conflict between Jacob and Laban's sons. So he does have sons. I don't know how old they are at this point in the story, but he does have sons.
2: Well, particularly in the I I don't know if there's others that you're thinking about, that the predicament that I run into, in fact, it's happening right now as you speak, well, not the very minute, when your son works for you. <laughs> okay. How much do you pay your son? Okay. Yeah. You know, no, I'd like to pay him a lot because he's my son, but but I'm really picky about the work I have done for you, so I don't want to pay him if he does a bad job. <laughs> so yeah. maybe facing that. How you know, how much do I pay this guy? Yeah.
1: This
0: is on recording, Ginger.
1: <laughs> he may hear this. <laughs> well, uh, you. Serves, you know, I'm doing the work on this house, and I'm
2: thinking eventually I'll get this house, so I'm going to do a better job, so I'm going to end up getting what he's getting. Well,
0: obviously, hiring relatives and. Involves all kinds of complicated issues, right? Okay, this is what... I if
2: Laban had
0: any money. Uh, well, uh, that's a good question, actually. And as we get later in the story, we're going to discover that that although it's, it's clear Laban's got a big family and a big clan, he's really not doing all that well. And Jacob turns all that around. Uh, so we're going to discover that later as we go on in the story. So I wouldn't say he doesn't have any money. But he's not prospering the way he will ultimately under with uh, with Jacob working for him and uh, et cetera, which is one of the reasons why he's so intent on keeping Jacob around. Okay, well, primarily the issue is, of course, that he has a relative here who's come into his home and the guy's just working for nothing just because he works because he's a hard worker and he's diligent and he's skilled. Okay, and for Laban, this is a difficult situation because he cannot be. You know, he doesn't want to be seen as someone who's exploiting his relative. OK, this is not good for the relationships with, the, you know, with his sister and his brother-in-law and et cetera, et cetera. Even though they're a number of miles away, it's should, you know, you don't want to be seen as exploiting the situation. And, and of course, as long as he's not paying Jacob, then Jacob's certainly free to. Get up and, and get up and leave at any time. OK, so he's got to figure out a way not to offend Jacob because he is a relative, not to offend him, but neither to appear to be exploiting him, although he, he, he doesn't mind exploiting him as long as it's not obvious he's exploiting him. And <clears throat> we'll see that, too. So so he he enters into this negotiation with jacob and he says now it's just not right that i you know that i not pay you anything just because you're my relative so so he asks him he says what shall your wages be now i've been a car salesman okay and uh and i'm a lousy salesman i've been in several different types of sales and i'm a lousy salesman and i starved as a car salesman but i did sit through a lot of sales seminars okay And one of the things they teach you in sales is the first person to name his price loses. (laughs) So when you're in a negotiation with uh, over a car, uh, the the principle is for the salesman is to try to get the customer to name the price they're willing to pay. And then you negotiate off that price rather than you say what you're willing to take for the vehicle. Okay? And there's just a whole lot of psychology involved in that. But. But in this situation, that's that's pardon. <laughs> it's good. To, yeah, it is good to know. Yeah. Uh, and that's in this situation. That's kind of what's going on here is, you know, Laban's not making the offer. He's asking Jacob, what are you what are you willing to pay for? You know, what what are you willing to work for? And uh, so uh, so that puts uh, Jacob in a little bit of a difficult situation. And he probably would have been better if he had asked <laughs> instead of he just volunteered there's another principle that Jacob doesn't do too well on here, and that's the principle of you never go grocery shopping when you're hungry, right? <clears throat> At least that's what I hear. I go grocery shopping. I don't go grocery shopping. I just go to the store when I'm hungry. You know? <laughs> I let my wife do the grocery shopping. But the principle I've heard is don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. You'll buy too much, right? Well, problem here is Jacob's hungry, right? He's already in love. <laughs> He's already in love. And so, you know, he's not thinking real clear here. He's not thinking real clear. So he names his price. And his price is what?
1: Younger daughter for seven years. <laughs> yeah.
0: I want your younger daughter, Rachel. And I'll work for you for seven years. Okay. Now, I have no idea what the going price of younger daughters was back then, you know. Camels, <laughs> Camels and sheep, whatever, yeah. But at any rate, he names this price. and and But I want you to notice, he's very specific, isn't he? It's not, I'll marry your daughter. I want your daughter. He's very specific in which daughter he wants. And he specifies it's the youngest daughter, okay? So that's all agreed to up front. It's the youngest daughter. It's Rachel. And it's seven years. Now, because he's in love, seven years is no big deal to him, you know? Guys must have thought different back then than they think
1: nowadays. I don't know, you know. Uh,
0: you know, I read that last verse that we look at there, verse 20. It says the, that the, those those years were just but a few days because of his love for Rachel. And I'm thinking, boy, that's not how I remember when I was engaged. <laughs> it seemed like every day was an eternity.
2: I think you would have tried one year
0: first. <laughs> Well, like I say, you don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry and you don't be the first one to name your price, okay? So... Yeah. I was just how old
2: Rachel
0: was. We really don't know. Yeah, we really have no idea how old she was.
2: Maybe she was a little
0: I to Well, I think that's a distinct possibility. Yeah, I think that's a distinct possibility. Now, of course, what is Laban's response to this offer from Jacob? Yeah. Yeah, he jumps right on it, doesn't he? OK, now here again, it's it's easy because we know Laban's character and we know what happens later. It's very easy, I think, to 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 assume that he's got this whole plan laid out from the outset. But again, I don't think that that's necessarily the case here. Um uh, the, the, of course, you know uh, uh, I'm not giving away the farm here when I tell you this because you know the story that that you know Laban's going to do a bait and switch on him here in a little bit, but but I don't think necessarily that Laban has this planned out. He's he's got seven years to get Leah married off. Okay, so I think when he agrees to give Rachel to to Jacob, he's not thinking. Okay, but I'm really going to. Switch, seven years from now, I'm going to switch Leah with Rachel. I don't think that's what's going on here. Okay, I assume that what Laban is thinking at this point is that's seven years down the road. You know, good grief! I can get my, and my daughter married off in seven. My other daughter married off in seven years. He probably just assumes that. As the years pass, it becomes clear that that's not going to happen. Okay. Now, the scriptures point out a difference between these two women. How does it contrast them?
2: It's kind of interesting that I, and I wonder if my record partner, man says that Leah's eyes were
1: weak, mm-hmm.
2: but in some sense, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel is beautiful mm-hmm. form and
1: face.
2: Mm-hmm. And one is talking about her physical appearance, the other is talking about, it sounds like, how her eyes function. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Most
0: commentators take it the second way. Okay. Is that the the idea is uh, if if we can just kinda of go back in time a little bit here and think about Rachel. I mean think about Rebecca, okay. You can just about imagine, you know, in your encounter with Rebecca, this real, you know, energetic, go getting, whatever type of woman, uh uh, that Rebecca is, you just you can see the fire in her eyes, right, <laughs> okay you can just you know that kind of a person just you, you look in their eyes and their eyes are alive and and uh and uh there 's just life there, okay, and then there 's some people you you look at them and you look at their eyes and there 's just you wonder if there 's anybody home <laughs> okay deer you know in the <laughs> yeah deer in the headlight type of thing you know and and I think that that's the sense that's being communicated here. And like I say, commentators struggle with this a little bit because it's not a real common phrase, so it's a real—it's a little bit difficult to understand. But it appears that the idea is that Rachel is apparently a little bit like uh, like her aunt. She's a little bit like Rebecca. Okay, she's got life. She's got fire. She's vibrant and she's beautiful. She's good looking. Okay, and then there's Leah and. And she just and you have to remember that you remember the kind of garments and clothing that women wore that time. You didn't usually see a whole lot more than the face in in the everyday encounters with a woman. Okay, so you you pretty much judge the personality of the woman by her face and by her eyes. Okay, and and Leah just doesn't come across very strong. She comes across weak, Okay. and And it is set in contrast to rebecca so it's so it's clearly it's it's not an issue that that her eyes are weak, like my eyes are weak, you know, but that her eyes were weak in the sense that that there wasn't just a lot of fire in those eyes, not the kind of thing that would typically draw a guy or fire a guy up by contrast, rachel's beautiful of form and face okay so she's very. Good looking. Now, once again, it's very easy to be critical of Jacob for being attracted to the better-looking woman. But God made women good-looking for a reason, for us guys. Okay, so I'm not going to be too critical of Jacob. If that's the only thing that attracted him to Rachel, then there might be some reason for some criticism. And
2: Rachel was a shepherdess. They didn't mention anything about
0: Leah. Yeah, we have no idea what Leah did. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, so at any rate. Jacob focuses on Rachel. He falls in love with Rachel. And she's good looking, and she's, you know, she's got fire in the eyes, and et cetera, et cetera, And then there's Leah over here, and Leah's just kind of through the whole story. And as we go on in the story, Leah's just kind of there. And and maybe I've been maybe I've been totally fair in the way I read the story. Uh, at least in the past. But, you know, I tend to kind of favor Rachel. I mean, she's the one he loves, you know, and she's the one he contracted for, if we can use it. That's a crass term for a romantic relationship, you know. But Leah is just kind of the, you know, the fifth wheel of the wagon. She's the, she's kind of the intruder in the whole thing. Yeah, and you think, oh, this was going to be such a cool deal. This was going to be such a neat relationship with with Rebecca and Rachel, and it was going to be so wonderful. And there's love, and there's romance, and there's and there's all that sort of stuff going on here. And then Leah just gets thrown into this thing. It just messes everything up.
1: It
0: wasn't Leah's fault. It wasn't Leah's fault at all. God was aware of that and God was aware of that. the thing that's striking is as much as we're attracted to Rachel and as much as all the romance and everything about Rachel is pretty cool and we enjoy all that part of the story, it's actually Leah who gives birth to Judah who is the father of David who is the father of the Christ. And so as much as the story focuses on Rachel, it's really through Leah that the promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's through Leah that that's going to come.
2: I think it's funny that he says, I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why
0: you deceived me? And Jacob's like, the old You're getting ahead of us here. You've got to wait until next week till we get to that. help <laughs> I
2: wonder what would have happened if Jacob would have. Looked here and and said, "Hey, you've got some daughters. Let me pray about this." You know, dot dot dot. Yeah. Returned. Yeah. But who knows?
0: Yeah. 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 We don't know, but it sure uh, is an encouragement to do that, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. things get messy when we don't pray. So, at any rate, well. The way the way we're brought to uh, the point we're brought at this point in the story is we're brought to this point then where Jake's just having a great time. He's got a good job, something he loves doing. It's hard work. He likes hard work. It's something he's good. He's good at. He's skilled at. He's got the he's got the prospect of a wife. You know, the work is nothing to him because to him it means getting this woman that he loves. And and you can't help but get to this point in the story. As as we're reading the story, you just can't help but just kind of go, things are working out. You know, this is encouraging. And we have this anticipation. Now Now, we only have it for a little bit because we know what happens. But... Jacob had this anticipation for seven years. For seven years, he's working and he's just crazy about this woman that he's going to get to marry. And and he has this tremendous uh, hope and expectation. And God just lets him go along that way for seven years. And And it's like, as I, as I read it, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit, the way he constructs the passage here. It's like he wants us to feel Jacob's joy. He wants us to feel Jacob's anticipation. He wants us to feel Jacob's hope. So that we will also feel the absolute crushing disappointment. That Jacob will feel when he wakes up on the morning after his wedding, and I don't know about you, but I go, why god why i mean the the pain. The anger, the hurt, the disappointment that Jacob must have felt that morning. We'll talk more about that next week. But that said, we we only feel that and sense that if we we allow ourselves to feel the joy and the hope and the expectation and the looking forward to that Jacob's experiencing here in this part of the passage. And I ask myself, why, God, would you let that happen? Why would you let this child of yours whom you love and whom you've promised to be with and you've promised to bless him in everything that he does and and all these promises that you have made to him, why would you let him go through seven years of expectation and hope that motivates him and drives him and fires him up? only to pull the rug out from under him. Maybe Jacob should have
1: not asked. Maybe he asked for seven years thinking that leah would be married by then. Because he knew nothing was going
0: No, that's, that's possible. <laughs> Remember back when we were... Yeah? How did that
1: happen? And were there the same
0: Oh, we'll get into that next week. We'll, we'll get into all that next week because that's next week's lesson. Um, and I'll have all the
1: answers. I'll
0: have all the answers for you next week. Okay, y'all keep trying to get ahead of me. But before we get before we get there, I
1: wanna
0: I, I wanna I wanna learn the lesson that God has us. I think for us today. Remember back when we talked to, when we were talking about Rebecca and their whole scheme and their whole plan, and, and then it went it went you know off track and got all messed up, and then and then Rebecca goes to Jake and says your brother's going to kill you, so you need to get out of here for a few days until what? Until he cools off, until he forgets about it, right? Remember when we talked about that, and we talked about how easy it is when we hurt somebody else. Not to really understand how deeply we've hurt them. We know what it's like to be hurt when we're hurt. And we know how much it hurts and how long it lasts. But when we hurt somebody else, we just expect them to get over it. And I think what is beginning to happen here in the life of Jacob is that God is beginning to teach Jacob what it means to be hurt deeply by someone you've trusted Because Jacob cannot be Israel until he understands that he can't go around hurting people the way he's been hurting people. And the only way that Jacob can learn to appreciate that is if he is hurt deeply time and time and time again. And so, what God is about here is not just getting a wife for Jacob. If that's all that was at stake, then this story just doesn't work. But God is about shaping and making Jacob into the man he wants to be, wants him to be. And that's not going to be an easy process. That's going to be hard. And so I was reminded, as I was thinking about that this morning, I was reminded of this poem, and it's an anonymous poem, but I came across it many years ago. You, some of you probably heard it before. But, but, but when, God is, when God has His purposes on our life, the process of getting us to that point is not always as easy as we would hope it is. But ultimately, the ultimate goal is a glorious goal and it's worth it. So, somebody understood that process and he wrote this. uh, Somebody, some man or some woman, I don't know. When God wants to drill a man. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man. When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part. When he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out, God knows what he's about. And that really is, I think, a summary of the next 20 years in the life of Jacob. Okay? Well, next week we'll get up and we'll go on all those questions you had today that I refuse to answer.
1: Okay? (laughs)